You're listening to TalkZone.com, Internet Talk Radio. TalkZone.com. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Do you have a dysfunctional relationship with your money? It may not be your fault. We'll find out how you can take control of your money rather than your money controlling you. There's a very real reason, and very often it's linked to our early experiences around money. So just examining where you came from and some of the beliefs you brought can be incredibly freeing for you. Then, the chilling story of two young men from the same neighborhood with the same name. Why does one become a Rhodes Scholar and the other a cold-blooded killer? This story is much bigger than just these two boys. It's much bigger than even just one socioeconomic group or even about kids. This story really is about decisions and the impact that these decisions can have on others' lives as well. Those stories and more are straight ahead on this week's Info Trek. Stick around. The show gets underway in just a moment. InfoTrack continues. Welcome back to InfoTrack. I'm Roy Mackey. If money issues have ever troubled you, there's a good chance you've had negative thoughts about your financial health. You might be surprised to find out that those negative thoughts might be a factor in your lack of wealth. Here's InfoTrack's Chris Whitting with the story. Chris? Thanks, Roy. With more on this intriguing idea, let's welcome Dr. Brad Klontz to InfoTrack. Now, you're an expert in the field of financial psychology and co-author of Mind Over Money, Overcoming the Money Disorders that Threaten Our Financial Health. First, how big an issue do you believe this to be? Can you give us some percentage idea of the population that might have self-destructive financial behavior like this? Yes. You know, even the years before the recession, 75% of Americans said that money was the number one source of stress in their lives, and this is the richest country in the world. We had a savings rate of a negative half percent in 2006, which is the lowest it's been since the Great Depression. And in the months leading up to this recession, we also had a household credit card debt of over $10,000. So I think as a country, we were a nation of overspenders, so I think it's affected a lot of us. Now, you have something in your book that you identify as financial flashpoints that I guess are things that happen to us early in life that change how we think about money. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, financial flashpoints are sort of moments in time that are critical around money where we have an experience that has a real lasting impression and imprint on our mind, which is why we call it a flashpoint. And these financial flashpoint experiences lead to a whole set of money beliefs that we call money scripts, which then lead to our behaviors. And for example, the Great Depression was a financial flashpoint for many Americans, like for my grandfather, as an example. He lived his whole life not trusting banks with his money. He died at age 95, never put a dollar in the bank because his family had lost their money in the banks during the Great Depression. Now, would you say that the current recession is a financial flashpoint or going to be one for many people? I think it is, actually, and a lot of the research coming out with Generation Y, watching parents lose jobs, watching parents have to delay retirement, is having an effect on their beliefs around investing, their trust in the economy, their trust in corporations. So I think it is having an effect. So it has an effect on us as a culture and also individually, our individual experiences with money in our family. And even somebody, for example, a parent saying, hey, money doesn't grow on trees, something like that, do you think has an effect? It does, actually. And sometimes the messages aren't very helpful. For example, rich people are evil or greedy or shallow. That's a message that's actually quite common. And in some of our clients who have really held on to that belief, 
they end up sabotaging themselves so that they don't actually accumulate any money because they don't want to be associated with somebody who's bad. That's crazy to hear, but it does make some sense that people don't want to be a bad person. If they think being rich is bad, then they're going to program themselves, I guess. Right. You know, and it is crazy when you say that. That's actually true because it's actually a different part of the brain. These financial flashpoint experiences are very emotional. And they're actually stored in the animal part of the brain, not the rational part of the brain. So you see crazy financial behaviors that make no sense. Many people engage them because the emotional brain is what's driving the behavior. So once you've identified these flashpoints, I guess then you rewrite the script. And I guess part of it is just recognizing that it's there to begin with. Yeah, and you know, for a lot of people and for a lot of scripts, Sometimes that's all it takes is realizing, oh, wow, I'm doing that because my great-grandfather was lazy. That's why I'm a workaholic. I'm trying to make it. That makes sense. I'm not going to do that anymore. For some money scripts, though, in some experiences, the emotions are so intense, we can know that we shouldn't be doing it. We know why we're doing it, but it's still not enough. There's a real emotional attachment to that belief that's hard to let go of. We're talking with Dr. Brad Klontz, co-author of Mind Over Money, Overcoming the Money Disorders that Threaten Our Financial Health. Brad, you discuss common money disorders and how to spot them in yourself and others. Could you tell us a little about that? Sure. We have three different main categories of money disorders that we've identified. The first are money avoidance disorders. And these disorders are based on money scripts that money is bad, money is evil, rich people are evil. So money is sort of a villain that is meant to be feared. And under this category, we see a lot of people who are struggling with financial denial, which is pretending that their money problems don't exist. These are people who won't open their bank statements, will avoid conversations around money. Denial works in the short term, but it's real dangerous long term. Another one in this category are those people who engage in financial rejection. For whatever reason, they associate money with guilt or something shameful. Sometimes we see this from people who get death benefits or an inheritance when there wasn't a really great relationship in the family, and they've sort of associated money with being wrong or bad or painful, and so then they do whatever they can do to get rid of it. Another category is money-worshipping disorders, and this is the category that I think has really hit Americans the hardest. And these are based on fairy godmother money scripts, where the thought is that money is somehow magical and it's going to transform all of our problems, and all you need is a pile of money, and all your problems will disappear. And in this category, we see people who are overspenders. We see people who are compulsive buying disordered folks, which is basically overspending on steroids, where buying becomes an addiction. We have workaholics in this category, also problem gamblers. Obviously, in your consulting, you have helped people. Could you share some stories of how changing these disorders have changed people's financial status? Sure. Well, I'll give you a client example. His name was Paul, and when he was eight years old, Paul's sibling died during birth, and mom went to the hospital. She knew something was wrong. The doctor didn't show up, though, because he was golfing. So about a month and a half later, Paul's in his front yard with his father. Again, Paul's eight years old. The doctor drives up in his brand-new Thunderbird and approaches Paul's father and says, you know, I know it was pretty rough what happened, but we really need you to pay that bill for the doctor's bill. And if you don't, I'll probably have to have you arrested. Mm. Paul's father grabbed the doctor by his shirt, threw him in the car, and said, if you come after me with that bill, I'm going to kill you. Wow. Then he turned to Paul as the doctor was driving off, and he said, mark that well, Paul. That man only cared about money, didn't care about the life he ruined. So Paul's eight years old, and the message to Paul at that time was, rich people are bad, money is evil. So he came to us in his 50s, and he didn't really remember that story. You know, he wouldn't tell you that rich people are bad, but what he had done is he had spent his entire life repelling money. He would basically get into debt. He wouldn't accumulate any money, 
He didn't want to be known as somebody who had money. And it was all really linked to that early experience and the feelings around that. So by bringing that to his awareness and being conscious of it in here and now in the last five or six years, he's been able to reverse all of those behaviors. He's saving, he's investing, he's doing all the things that we all know we should be doing with our money. But for him, it was finding that link, realizing there was that emotional attachment, and now he can do something because those feelings still come up. But he recognizes them for what they are, and he's able to make better choices. That's a very powerful story, but would you say that in every case, someone who's maybe not doing well financially, if they were to change behaviors, are they going to necessarily be successful and rich? Obviously, that's not the case. I mean, there are other factors, right? Well, I think financial health is within everybody's grasp. I mean, that's sort of living within your means, finding ways to use money to make your life better. I think that is within everyone's grasp in America. But I think part of it is shedding the idea that having money is going to somehow make you happier because that's erroneous. And when people chase that, it's sort of like the parrot in front of the cart. You know, you're never going to reach it because the more money you get, it's just not going to make you happier. So part of it is just shedding that whole erroneous belief. Brad, any final thoughts for us? I think the first part is to really recognize that your money problems and your history of poor choices are not because you're stupid, lazy, or crazy, or greedy. There's a very real reason, and very often it's linked to our early experiences around money. So just examining where you came from and some of the beliefs you brought can be incredibly freeing for you. And secondly, I would just say that most of our money decisions, or a lot of them when we're stressed, really are made with the emotional brain. We like to think that we're rational human beings, but really we're rationalizing ones. And when it comes to money, quite often our inner animal, our inner monkey, if you will, gets a hold of the checkbook and just goes crazy. So a big part of it is when you're feeling stressed, when you're feeling lonely, angry, scared, hold off on making any money decisions. Wait till you calm down and seek some outside advice. Dr. Brad Klontz, co-author with Ted Klontz of Mind Over Money. What Your Past History Reveals About Your Present Self. Very interesting. And the website is yourmentalwealth.com. Brad, we want to thank you for joining us on InfoTrack. Well, thanks for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Chris Whitty. Why do some kids succeed while others become menaces to society? A story of violence, drugs, choices, and luck coming up. You're listening to InfoTrack. More after this. 